Come, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We give you our heart, our soul, our mind. And we ask that your Holy Spirit will take full control of this class and of each and every person. And Father, we ask for wisdom, revelation, understanding from your word that will lift us into a deep personal experience and encounter with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay. We're going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Now understand that Paul is writing to a group of believers who were formerly idol worshippers. And not only idol worshippers, but they were also involved in the occult. And they were involved in worship of demons. And they were also involved in yielding to wrong spirits through the witchcraft and the worship of other gods in their culture. Okay? So, what we see here is God's will. It is not God's will that believers are ignorant about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But sadly, we find that the majority of Christians, even today, are very ignorant concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We do not know what they are, how they operate, how they should be used, and we don't know how to discern and judge the genuine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but a large section of the evangelical church, the traditional denominational churches, they do not believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit operate any longer. There's a branch of theology that says that after the last apostle died, miraculous gifts and workings of the Holy Spirit in healing, in deliverances, and in prophecy, the word of knowledge and visions and dreams, that it has ceased. Because today, they say, we have the complete canon of the word of God, and there's no longer any more need for personal or specific revelation from God. So that's what they teach. And so they believe in this teaching called cessationism, which means the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. How many of you have heard of a man called John MacArthur, a pastor in America? So John MacArthur is one of the most well-known cessationists of today. He's a brilliant teacher of the word when it comes to the gospel. However, he does not believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and in the miraculous workings of the Holy Spirit. So he's a cessationist. However, there are also a large group of Christians who are continuationists. You can write it down. That the difference between cessationism is continuationism. And those who believe in continuationism are those who believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit continue even today. So all the charismatics, Pentecostals, and even the Catholics, 
They do believe in miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Eastern Orthodox, and many other denominations. Okay? Now, if you will study the Bible, nowhere does it say that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. Because we have the canon of scriptures. Not a single scripture. Moreover, the Bible says that in the last days, the church of Jesus Christ will be characterized by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the workings of the Holy Spirit. Remember in Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes Joel and says, In the last days, God will pour out His Spirit in all flesh. And one of the signs of that is that your young men and your young women, they will prophesy. They will see visions and dreams and so on. The workings of the Holy Spirit will be very, very, very common in the last days church. So there are more scriptures. In fact, most of the scripture point to the workings of the Holy Spirit even today. Now, why do they come to this conclusion that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased? They come to this conclusion on the basis of experience. Experience. What do I mean? Because they study the church and they see little healing. They see little miracle based on the experience and testimonies of some believers and some pastors. And so they come to the conclusion that God does not heal anymore because we don't see people healed. They believe in an extreme teaching of sovereignty. What do I mean by that? They mean this. If it is God's will to heal, He will heal. But because we see in the church many are sick and they are dying, it is not God's will to heal. Because if it is really God's will to heal, He will heal sovereignly. That's what they believe. So that's not according to the Word of God. But they take sovereignty to an extreme, and because they see little healing in the experience of their ministry, in the experience of their friend's ministry, based on experience, they come to the conclusion, God does not heal anymore. However, let me answer this question. Which is the final word that determines our belief? Is it the word of God or is it experience? The word of God. So if the word of God says God is Jehovah Rapha, the word of God says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That Jesus said, the same works that I do, you will also do. Jesus says, believers shall lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. Then what should we believe? The lack of experience in our own life, the lack of healings in the body of Christ, or do we believe the Word of God? No, our faith comes from the Word of God. Can you say Amen? Now, the reason why we see little healings is not because God is not healing, it's because the people are not believing. Is it God's will for every human being to be saved? Is every human being saved? No. Their will is involved. Their personal choice is involved. Amen. So even if it is God's will for people to be saved, God is not going to save them by force. The sovereign will of God does not work automatically in people's life, irrespective of their own will and choice. Their choice is included. Your will is included. And that is why when we have understanding of the word, and we believe, and we walk by faith, and we claim what is our inheritance in Christ. 
which includes healing, then we are able to experience what is in the word of God. Amen. Now throughout the history of the church, we have seen the gifts of the Holy Spirit manifest in different degrees in the body of Christ. Even after the apostles passed away. Even in revival in Nagaland in the 50s and the 60s, it was characterized by supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit's gifts. Not only in Nagaland, but all over the world, in every move of the Holy Spirit in revival, there were gifts of the Spirit that manifested in abundance. In 1906, there was a revival in Los Angeles, California called the Azusa Street Revival, out of which came the Pentecostal movement, out of which came the charismatic renewal. And all of that saw the gifts of the Spirit in abundance. Amen. So God does not want us to be ignorant, nor does he want us to be in wrong teaching about the gifts of the Spirit. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. God does not want us to be ignorant. So let's go more into the word. What is the word spiritual? The word spiritual here is the word pneumaticos. Pneumaticos. Write it down. P-N-E-U-M-A-T-I-K-O-S. Pneumaticos. Okay. Now in your King James Bible, you will find that the word gifts is italicized. That means in the original manuscript, the word gifts is not there. When Paul was writing this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul actually was writing now concerning spirituals, not spiritual gifts, concerning spirituals, pneumaticos. So the word spirituals is simply referring to the activity of the Holy Spirit. The activity of the Holy Spirit. The different ways the Holy Spirit manifests in the body of Christ. The different ways that you can experience the workings of the Holy Spirit. That's what this means. Now concerning spirituals, God does not want you to be ignorant concerning the ways and the functions and the ministry and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The word gift is not there in the original manuscript. Now, if you look at chapter 14, look at verse 1, chapter 14. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, right? But the word gift is not there in the original manuscript. So this should literally read, pursue love and desire spirituals. Desire spirituals. Desire to know the ways of the Spirit. Desire to understand the workings of the Spirit. Desire spiritual experiences, spiritual knowledge. Amen. Hallelujah. Go on to the last verse. Look at verse 39 of chapter 14. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. So desire earnestly to prophesy. So God wants us to covet spiritual gifts. God wants us to desire spiritual gifts. God wants us not to be ignorant of the workings of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Hallelujah. Now, let's look at the word gifts. And even though it's not there in the original manuscript, let's just define the word gifts. The word used for gifts is charisma. Charisma. Okay? It occurs 17 times in the Bible. And on 15 of those times, it is translated gift. Everyone say gift. Twice, it is translated free gift. Free gift. So charisma, which comes from the Greek word charis, which means grace, unmerited favor, undeserved favor. Charisma simply means grace gifts. The gifts that come by grace. So that's a very definite understanding of the gifts of the Spirit. They are gifts of grace. They are available freely. Did you understand that? You do not receive those gifts from God or function in those gifts because of your good works, because of your maturity, because of how good you are as a Christian. There are grace gifts. That means even immature believers can receive these gifts. Immature believers can function in these gifts. Young believers, born again only today, can function in these gifts. Can you say Amen? Alright. Let me contrast a little bit between ministry gifts and gifts of the Spirit. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 and 11. Ephesians chapter 4. There are ministry gifts, and then there are gifts of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 to 11. Come on, read it. Come on, read it louder. Okay, read verse 8. He gave gifts unto men. Okay. Alright, now 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Are you there? Alright. Look at verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Look at verse 7. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom. Now, in the literal Greek Bible, there is no the. So it should read, for to one is given a word of wisdom. Just write that in brackets in your Bible. A word of wisdom, not the word of wisdom. Okay? Through the Spirit. To another, a word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discernings of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, these are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, you will find in Romans chapter 12, another classification of gifts called spiritual gifts. Okay? So, you need to understand the difference between these three. don't have time to teach on all. I will focus on gifts of the Spirit, but I want to differentiate between 
ministry gifts and gifts of the Spirit. Now, ministry gifts. What are ministry gifts? Ministry gifts are people. Ministry gifts are people. For example, Paul. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was an apostle to whom? The Jews. And Peter is a person. Paul is a person. So God called Paul to be a gift to the Gentiles. Because these gifts are given by Jesus Christ. He himself, referring to Jesus, gave some, not all. Alright? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. He gave some. Jesus gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be pastors, some to be evangelists, and some to be teachers. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, the Bible says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So these are through Jesus, right? And these are through the Holy Spirit. Can you see the difference? Okay. Now look at verse 5 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Differences of ministries. Ministries, but the same Lord. So the ministries here is referring to the ministry gifts. And the Lord here is referring to Jesus Christ. So what is ministry gift? Ministry gift is a person who is called to be a pastor, teacher, prophet, apostle, evangelist. Ministry gifts are persons. Ministry gifts are people who are called in that specific function. Do you get it? So Paul was a gift to the Gentiles. Peter is a gift to the Jews. Okay? Now, what is a gift of the Spirit? A gift of the Spirit is, is this. Ministry gift is the person. A gift of the Spirit is this. The person has the gift. Did you get it? The person has the gift. So the gift of the Spirit is not the person. It's a gift that manifests in that person. Okay? The second difference is this. In the ministry gift, the whole person is involved. That means every aspect of that person's life, his values, his character, his beliefs, his family, all of that is included in the ministry gift. If you are functioning as an apostle, you're always an apostle, right? If you're functioning as a pastor, you're always a pastor because that grace and responsibility is upon you. And every aspect of your life is involved. Your belief system, your values, how you handle your money, how you take care of your family, how you take care of your relationships, all of that, every aspect of the life is involved in the ministry gift. Are you understanding me? Yes. So it involves the whole person. But in the gift of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit is this. The gift of the Spirit comes and goes. The gift of the Spirit is a very brief manifestation. Did you get it? Let's say for example, just to prove my point here. This is an iPad. Completely with all the software, it functions like a ministry gift. 
complete package is here. Okay? So this is the pastor. This is the evangelist. Okay? But the gift of the Spirit is this. Do you see the light? It comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. So the gift of the Spirit is not the person. The gift of the Spirit is a brief manifestation. And it goes. It's as the Spirit wills, as we just saw. Did you get it? Now, another difference is this. In ministry gift, the character is important. The character of the person will make his function, his authority, effective. So as a pastor, as an evangelist, as a teacher, a prophet, your character becomes important as you function in your ministry gift. But in the gift of the Spirit, character is not involved. Did you get it? The character is not involved in the function of the gift of the Spirit. Now, by that, we don't mean character is not important. By that, we don't mean that the lack of character is okay when you function in the gift of the Spirit. No. Character is important. But just for the sake of functioning, in the sense receiving and being used by God in the gift of the Spirit, character does not seem to be involved. Okay? Whereas in the ministry gift, you cannot separate the pastor from his character. You cannot separate the apostle from his character. Character is very important. But when it comes to the way the gifts of the Spirit function, it seems that even if you are, how would I say it, immature, even though you may have wrong doctrine, even though you may have some sin in your life, yet the gifts of the Spirit can manifest. What is the example we have? We have 1 Corinthians, the epistle that Paul wrote to the believers in that church. And the believers there were fighting among themselves. They are having doctrinal problems. They were having sin in the camp. They were having division in the church. They were having confusion. Some of them had wrong beliefs, wrong doctrines. And yet, that church was experiencing revival. And every service, there were people who wanted to come and release prophecy and the gifts of the Spirit. Tongues and so on. So the gifts of the Spirit were in abundance in the church at Corinth. And yet, they were an immature, carnal, fleshly, baby church. Did you get it? Okay, so, in the ministry gift, the person is the gift. But in the gifts of the Spirit, the gift flows through the person. Manifests through the person. In the ministry gift, character is essential. The way your character grows will determine how effective you are as a pastor, as a leader. As an apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, and so on. But in the way the gift of the Spirit functions, it's a charisma. It's a gift of grace. So very, very immature believers can have that gift. I've heard testimonies of people who have seen the gift of healing operate in their life because when they were younger, 
they were in revival and the Holy Spirit touched them and they were used in ministering healing, but then they backslid and they were alcoholics and they were drinking in a bar and there were people who came to the bar who were sick and they prayed for them and the person got healed. But that person himself did not transform. So, understand this, okay? If you are a lazy and irresponsible person before you receive a gift of the Spirit, even after you receive a gift of the Spirit, you will still be lazy and irresponsible. It's true. I've seen it throughout my entire life. Now, why this is so confusing for Christians is because they see people who've gone to Bible school, they've gone to revival, they're touched by the Lord, now they can prophesy, they have the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to see visions and dreams, and they're moved by God to pray for people, and do people get healed, and it's wonderful. And everyone else starts looking at them as, wow, they've become some super Christian, they've become some super apostle, and we begin to look up to them for inspiration, for example, but those people are still lazy. Those people are still irresponsible. They come to church late. They're full of dishonor even then. And people get shocked because they're thinking, wait a minute, they're supposed to be mature Christians. Why? Because they have been moving in the gifts of the Spirit. But their lives haven't transformed. I've seen this so many times. So what happens is believers get confused. Fruit and gift are different. What's a gift? A gift is like Christmas gifts under your Christmas tree. You go shopping and in the evening you have the gift under your Christmas tree. Right? Yes. The gifts of the Spirit are like that. They come quick. Why? Because it's by grace. You ask the Lord and the Lord begins to move in your life. You desire and the Lord begins to move and the gifts begin to manifest in your life. But... How long does it take to produce fruit from a tree? Minimum three to four years. You planted some fruit trees four or five years back. We still haven't eaten a single fruit from that tree. Fruit takes time. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, talks about character. The gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, are grace gifts. Amen? So, all believers may be used by God in the gifts of the Spirit. But the gifts of the Spirit, listen to me, they will not transform your life. Now, it will bless your heart to know that God is moving through you. But remember, Balaam's donkey, since Balaam was not listening to God, God spoke through Balaam's donkey, right? Now, after Balaam's donkey prophesied, did the donkey change? The donkey was still a donkey. Even after he prophesied, spoke to Balaam, spoke to Balaam, I mean God spoke to Balaam through the donkey. Amen. Hallelujah. So, we have to keep it in its proper context. Hallelujah. Now, understand this. The gift of the Spirit does come with responsibility. Because you are actually acting for Christ. To lift up Christ. To share the love of Christ. Amen. So, it comes with responsibility that we also grow and mature and become people with fruit. People with character. 
Because that will enable the gifts of the Spirit to flow more effectively and also for people to receive your ministry. But essentially, by itself, the gifts of the Spirit come by grace. They are not because of our good works, our character, and our maturity. Did you understand the difference? See, just because somebody prophesies does not make them a prophet. There are many people who prophesy and yet they are very ignorant of Bible knowledge, Bible doctrine, and they are very immature in character. I've seen that a lot, even in Nagaland. I've seen a lot of women who prophesy that they do not know proper doctrine, proper teaching. So sometimes their prophecies do not line up with the Word of God. Their revelation does not line up with the Word of God. Not to say that they are false, but they are not able to properly interpret what revelation they get and communicate it properly. And I've also seen that many who have the gifts of the Spirit can also be very immature. Immature in their day-to-day life. Impatient, fighting, gossiping, and so on. And yet prophesying. Okay? So, the gifts of the Spirit does not mean that you are mature. The gifts of the Spirit simply mean that God is manifesting through you by a work and a gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Okay. All right. Now you see nine gifts that are mentioned and also nine fruit in Galatians chapter 5. Let's put the gifts of the Holy Spirit in three categories. Three categories. Okay? The revelation gifts. Revelation gifts are word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. Revelation gifts have to do with your spiritual eyes. They are gifts that make you see in the realm of the spirit. The second category is power gifts. Gifts to do with the hand. Gifts that get things done. Faith, working of miracles, gifts of healings. Write it down. Faith, working of miracles, gifts of healings. And the third has to do with the mouth. First has to do with the eyes, revelation. Second has to do with the hand, power gifts. And the third are the vocal gifts. Gifts that do with the mouth. Prophecy, different kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Diverse kinds of tongues, as the Bible says. Different kinds of tongues. Now, even though we have classified them into three groups, nine gifts, classify them into three groups for the purpose of teaching. However, when they manifest, sometimes you will find that the gifts manifest together. They don't manifest independently all the time. Sometimes you will see that in the middle of a prophecy, there is word of knowledge and word of wisdom also, and discerning of spirits also. Sometimes when there is a working of miracles, you will also see a gift of healing in operation together with that. Okay? So, 
even though we have classified them separately for the purpose of understanding and teaching, yet in your practice and experience, you will find that they interflow and they are all sometimes working in unity. All right? Let me give you some important facts. Write it down. Important facts about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Number one, they are gifts. They cannot be earned or worked for. That means they come by grace. Well, does that mean, Pastor, that I don't have to pray and fast for it? No. That's not what we mean. The Bible says desire, right? The Bible says covet. So, your desire is important. Your passionate pursuit to understand the things of the Holy Spirit is important. And sometimes that involves hungering and desiring, even praying and fasting for gifts. Alright? But, when they come to you from God, it is because of His grace, not because of your personal worth. Not because you have worked for it. You have paid the price for it. No. It's a work of grace. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So, they are grace gifts. They cannot be worked for or earned for. Amen? Number two. Look at verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Each one. That means the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available to every believer. They are available for every believer if you should yield and submit to God and learn to flow with the Spirit. Any believer can be used by God in any gift of the Holy Spirit. You do not have to be an apostle, a pastor. You do not have to have some high Qualification reached before you are used by the Holy Spirit. Number three. They manifest as the Spirit wills. Look at verse 11. One and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. So, it's as He wills. So the third point is, these gifts manifest by the will of the Holy Spirit. Did you get it? That means you cannot decide which gift to use whenever you want to use it. It's as the Spirit wills. Now, you can decide to be conscious. You can decide to be available to God. You can decide... To walk in greater sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. But you cannot decide which gift to manifest whenever you want to do it. It's as He wills. So in a sense, listen to me. They are not your gift. They belong to the Holy Spirit. For example, if I give you this pen as a gift, you can use this pen whenever you want to, right? But it is not like that kind of gift. It's a gift of the Spirit, meaning the work of the Holy Spirit is by grace. It's God's gift to His people. It's actually not a gift to you. Do you know that? It's a gift for someone to be blessed through your life. 
is not for your spiritual elevation. It's not for your fame. It's not to elevate or promote you. It's a manifestation of the Spirit for the benefit of all. Can you say Amen? Hallelujah. The fourth thing is this. You need to desire the gifts of the Spirit. The fifth thing is this. The gifts are supernatural. The gifts are supernatural. What we mean is this. You cannot go to a university and after 15 years of education, come out with a word of wisdom. No. You cannot go to college and come up with a gift called the word of knowledge. The wisdom that you gain from study, experience, and exposure to the world by which you are able to do business, by which you are able to lead, that's a different wisdom. Even that, God can help. But that is not the gift of the Holy Spirit in a word of wisdom, which is referred to here in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, you will read some books written by some theologians that say that there are some who have the gift of wisdom because they have studied, they have gone to seminary, they have studied books, and now they have wisdom. No. If you can gain the gift of wisdom by your study, then you don't need the Holy Spirit. If you can study and have knowledge and have the gift of knowledge, then you don't need the Holy Spirit. This is not referring to human works, human ability. Now, you can go to a doctor and receive healing, yes or no? But that's not a gift of healing. Amen. Hallelujah. So these are all supernatural gifts, the workings of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Write another heading down. The purpose of the gifts. For what purpose does God give us the gifts? Number one. It's even in your notes. So that we can do the works of Christ. So that the church can do the works of Christ. John 14 verse 12. Most assuredly I say to you. He who believes in me. The works that I do he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to my father. Jesus says the believers. Those who believe in him will do the same works. That he does. Now, can you and I do the works of Jesus by our own human strength? No. Just as Jesus was moved and anointed and depended upon the Holy Spirit, even so, we also need to be moved upon, to be depending upon, and to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the purpose of these gifts is so that God can move through our lives and bring healing Deliverance, direction, guidance to His people. Can you say Amen? Hallelujah. Number two. The second purpose is this. Look at verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Underline that. The profit or the benefit of all. The benefit of all. The purpose of the gift is to benefit the church. Not the individual. Not you. But the church. 
And not only the church, but also unbelievers. Now, every day we come across people who are sick, who are broke, who are having problems in their lives. And sometimes just counseling them with human understanding and knowledge does not help them. But when we function in the gift of the Spirit, we are able to bring deliverance quickly in their lives. Last year, a girl was brought by her relatives to my house. Not to my house, my office here. Now, she studies Bible in uh, another town here in Nagaland, a Bible school. She was going through depression. She was locked in her soul. She wasn't talking to anyone. She was just in a very difficult mental state. And no one could understand what was happening to her. She was having difficulty in her university, in a, in a seminary. So she had to come back home. And even at home, she was having problems. She could not sleep, very quiet, not talking. Her own relatives were thinking that something wrong is happening to her mental state. So they brought her to my room. And even while they were sharing, she was very quiet. She looked like she was very disturbed. And in the midst of all this sharing, I was just listening in my heart, Lord, what is it? What is it? Then I got a word. She has unforgiveness and offense in her heart, which is disturbing her. But I didn't want to ask any question in front of the relatives. I asked them all to go out. I asked her to come and sit next to me. And I said, did something happen for which you are very, very hurt and a lot of anger is there? Then she began to weep and she said that a few years back, there was a man in the colony where she was living that tried to drag her at night around 7 p.m. when she went to the shop and drag her to his house so that he would rape her. And she was so terrified and she was so shocked that she, he was actually dra dragging her to his house. Somehow he managed to escape from his room. But that incident traumatized her to where she was just stuck in this unseen prison in the heart and mind. And then for years after that, she couldn't come out of that trauma. So I just led her in a simple prayer of forgiveness for that person. A simple prayer of releasing healing into her life, into her heart and mind. And in that period of about 15 minutes, while I was just ministering by the Holy Spirit, the Lord did something amazing in her because immediately after the prayer, she was changed. Her eyes were changed. Her frowned countenance was changed. Until today, she's free. Now, for two years, she's been praying every day. Her family has been praying for her. Her classmates have been praying for her. But there was no difference. But a 10-minute, 15-minute prayer by the gift of the Spirit brought freedom. Brought deliverance. That's the power of the gifts of the Spirit. So that's the third purpose. Write it down. To destroy the works of Satan. The gifts of the Spirit are given so that the works of Satan can be destroyed. The works of darkness can be destroyed. And that's what Jesus did through his ministry. Number four. Look at verse three. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 
a verse that needs to be understood properly? A very simple interpretation is this. When it's a genuine manifestation of the Holy Spirit, it will always lift up Jesus Christ. It will always cause Jesus to be Lord over people, over the church, and over your own life. So, the fourth purpose of the Holy Spirit, I think it's fourth or number five. Fourth is this, to glorify Christ, to cause Jesus to be Lord in the lives of people. But another way this can be translated is also this. A test to know whether a person is functioning in a genuine gift of the Holy Spirit is whether that person's prophecies, revelations, or ministry glorifies Christ or not. That's a side topic right now. You see, a test to determine the genuineness of a person that he's really functioning by the Holy Spirit and not by any other spirit is whether his life, his ministry is lifting up Christ or lifting up himself or other things. Did you get it? Yes. Now, this also means this. Be careful of pursuing experiences and encounters in the Spirit for the sake of experience and encounter. Because if you just want to have spiritual encounters, you can have spiritual encounters even from the dark side. Paul was writing this to people who were aware of the spirit realm. They were worshipping idols. They were aware of witchcraft and the occult. So to differentiate, Paul says, if it is genuinely by the spirit of God, the spirit will never curse Jesus. Did you get it? It will never condemn Jesus. It will never put down Jesus. If it's genuine spirit of God working through that person. Which means there are other spirits that are there. That we have to be discerning when we are yielding to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit will never put down the name of Christ. The genuine work of the Holy Spirit will never demean the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Someone who is moving in the Holy Spirit will never work opposite to the Spirit of Christ, the Word of Christ, the truth of Christ. Hallelujah. All right, the fifth purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, charisma, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you get the fifth purpose here? Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. How? Through the manifestation of the gift. Now, Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth, right? 
What was happening in the church of Corinth? People were speaking in tongues. Everybody wanted to speak in the church, in the pulpit. People were prophesying. All of these things were happening. That's why Paul wrote to correct the way that these gifts will function in the church service, right? See, you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance and knowledge. So there was a lot of utterance happening in this church. Utterance in the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit. And Paul says, one of the purposes of the gifts of the Spirit is so that the testimony of Christ is confirmed in you. Testimony of Christ. What is this? Even in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul writes this. He says, people will come to your church, unbelievers. And then the minister will have a word of knowledge. There's someone here having this problem. There's someone here having this issue. And there will be prophecy. And when the prophecy is given, it reveals the hearts of men, right? And then the people will go down on their knees and say, truly God is in your midst. Did you read that verse? Okay, let's go. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Look at verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24. If all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly in favor of his church. Right? Why? Because the gifts of the Spirit, when it's manifesting, it shows to people, it testifies that God is real. Jesus is working. Did you understand that? That's the purpose of the gift. To testify that our Jesus Christ is alive. Have you ever gone to a church and in that church you said, Ayah, God is really working. Have you thought that, said that? Have you said that about every church? See, some church you go, you're like, God is dead. See, some people go to some churches and they stop believing in God. Some people go to some Bible school and they stop believing in God. Right? See, whatever was taught there is a testimony of a true God or a false God. So the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit, the purpose is to reveal that Jesus Christ is alive. And that is why they are so important. We must hunger for them and we must allow them to be used in the church. Amen. Okay, go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 11. Paul writing to the believers at Rome says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. So that you may be established. Paul longed to go to the church at Rome, the believers in Rome, so that through his life, he is an apostle, you see. And part of the package of an apostle is that they also are able to release impartation for people to receive gifts of the Spirit. Impartation and anointing for ministry. That's part of the package of the apostle. So Apostle Paul says, I long to come to you. Why can't you just pray for them? Huh? Why go all the way to Rome? Why can't you just write a letter and say, I'm praying for you, you'll get a spiritual gift? No. There are some things that cannot come except it's by personal 
relationship, right? Why go to heaven? Let's just live stream heaven every day. Right? No need to go to heaven. See, Paul knew that when he goes there, God will use him when he prays for them by the laying on of hands, that they will receive some spiritual gift. And the purpose of that gift is so that they may be established. Established means strengthened, built up, have a strong foundation. And the church can be more effective, more powerful. Now, some people who don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, they say this. We don't need the gifts of the Holy Spirit anymore because the church is already established here on the earth. Well, is that the truth? How about in China? Where there are people who have not heard about Jesus, where parts of India, millions of people have not heard about Jesus. Is the church established in those places? No. We're not talking about the church as an organization established with buildings and crosses. No, we're talking about the people being established in the ministry, in the purpose and calling and the faith and reaching out to the world. That's what we're talking about. And the church always needs to be established more and more because the church is always expanding to more new and new people. And the church is always, at the same time, being mature, also immature. Because always new believers are coming into the kingdom. Yes, amen. Amen. So the purpose is this. To establish the church. Strengthen the church. Now, purpose number seven. What's the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit? Simple. To serve the body of Christ. Not to be served. So just because you have a gift of the Spirit, don't be entitled to say, I, I have a gift, why is pastor not using me? No, use your gift. And a time will come when you'll be used on the pulpit. Use your gift in the neighborhood. Use your gift on your friends. If you have a gift of gossip, use it on yourself. Alright? Okay. Now, the last. The purpose of the gifts is for evangelism. To save souls. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, again, verse 4 to 7. Are you there? I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean? It means also this. That the church of Jesus Christ in the last days. The church is eagerly waiting for the revelation and the coming of Christ. Yes or no? We are eagerly waiting. Yes or no? Yes. So the church in the last days that is eagerly waiting. Paul also says... You will come short in no gift. It means that the church of the last days will be functioning in the mighty gifts of the Holy Spirit. God wants a church in the last days that is flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That church that is waiting for the second coming of Christ. And we see that in Acts chapter 2, Joel chapter 2. 
when the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, there will be the manifestation of the gifts. Amen? Important questions that you may have. Now, if a person is not baptized in the Holy Spirit or he is not speaking in tongues, can he function in the gifts of the Spirit? Huh? Yes or no? What do you think? Yes. All right. That's true. Because there are people who have not spoken in tongues yet, and yet the Holy Spirit manifests to them in the time of prayer in a gift. However, the consistency, the regularity, and also the force and the impact and the depth of the anointing will be different when it's a person baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. We know that God's able to use anyone. But the regularity and the consistency is greater when it's through people who are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. Another question somebody asked some time back was about Acts chapter 2. So we know that they were all filled with the Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So, from all nations, Jews come. Three times a year, they're supposed to come to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices. And when this sound occurred, it was a sound. What sound? Tongues. And it was so loud that it brought people. Multitudes came together and they were confused because everyone, which everyone is this? The multitudes heard them. Who are the them? Them is the 120 disciples. Everyone is the multitudes. Okay. So multitudes will be definitely more than 5,000, let's say, 10,000. Definitely more than 5,000. Why? Because Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved. Right? So that means Peter preached to more people. Out of the multitude, only 3,000 people gave their life to Christ. So the multitudes is more than 5,000. Them is 120 disciples, right? Yes or no? Okay. Everyone heard them speak in his own language. Okay. Okay. We have to understand this properly. Everyone heard them. Who heard them? Huh? The multitudes heard 120. Right? So these people heard the 120 speaking in their own language. Did you get it? Try to understand because a lot of theologians misinterpret this particular event. And they come up with teachings that confuse us. Because they say that when they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, it is not the tongues that we pray today. It was tongues as a sign about people speaking in different languages. But really, is that what it was? We have to understand properly, okay? Then they were all amazed. Who were amazed? The multitudes. And marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear? Right? Each in our own language. 
in which we were born, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we heard them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So, there were in this multitude probably 30, let's just say for the sake of or 40 different types of languages because people came from all parts of the world. Okay? There could be more. There could be less. But they were speaking and uh, they were speaking, this 120 were speaking in tongues. They understood in their own language. So whatever they were saying, they understood in their own language. But it was not just one language. There were multitude of languages because the Jews had come from all over the world. Right? Okay. You are? What tribe? Huh? Rongmai. Adivasi. Mizo. Huh? Ao. Rabha. What tribe? Huh? Nisi. Tamil. Chakasang. Nepali. Naga. Lot. Sema. Burmese. Kachin. Nepali. So, there are about 20 different languages here, right? Yes? Okay. All of you speak in your own language. All of you say, Jesus is God, God is good. Everyone speak in your own language at the same time. Okay. No, no. One, everyone, everyone, all the men. In your own language, you speak anything. But at the same time. And loudly. Ready? All of you, listen. How many of you are owl here? Okay, so you must listen to the owl. How many of you are Nepali here? Listen to the Nepali. How many of you are Mizo here? Any Mizo here? Okay. Um, I'm sure some of your tribe is here. <laughs> yes or no? Some of you speak in Nagamese also. Okay. Alright. Listen carefully, alright? Are you ready? Go. One, two, three. Say some more. Go ahead, keep on speaking. One, two, three. Do you understand what they say? It's impossible. Right? Let's say if the 120, they had the gift of the Spirit, and they were speaking Hebrew, he was speaking Egyptian, he was speaking Mesopotamian, and all of us who were there, the multitudes, we heard them in our own language. Do you think 120 people speaking at the same time, you can go and find your own language? Huh? And remember, the other side is a multitude of thousands. But each of them here in our own language. So what was happening here? This is what I believe. Okay. This 120 was speaking in tongues. But this multitude understood their tongues in their own language. They understood in their own language. These people were not speaking Greek. They were not speaking Mesopotamian. They were not speaking African. They were not speaking Greek, Rome language. They were just speaking in tongues. But the people here understood their tongues in their language. Did you understand? 
So it was more a miracle of interpretation rather than them having, like for example, some people say the tongues is when God gives you the gift of speaking Chinese, or the gift of speaking Africans. And so they say, what we do, Pentecostals, that's gibberish. It's about God giving you Chinese. And no, that's not what it meant here in Acts chapter 2. They understood in their own language. There have been instances, revivals and missions, when preachers have gone and they were speaking in English, but the other person understood it in their own language. There were times when people are on the stage and they're speaking in tongues, talking to God in tongues, and someone else understood everything this person said in their own language. So this was what you call a miracle of tongues as a sign. Where people were understanding in their own language, even though the 120 were speaking in tongues. This seems to be a more plausible and accurate interpretation of what was happening here. Rather than different disciples getting different languages. Can you understand it? We have to understand it based on also the practical aspects of what was happening here. So each of them were speaking in our own language the wonderful works of God. The wonderful works of God. Amen? So one of the purposes of tongues is that we are able to declare the wonderful works of God through tongues. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700-568-4533 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.